0: Tactics and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory, to live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson.
1: Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Adam Shibley is a full-time podcaster, podcasting business coach, and host of the top-ranked podcast, Podcasting Business School, and Podcast Launch Tips. He also hosts the incredibly popular Low Carb Hustle with Danny Vega and the Keto Savage himself, Robert Sykes, both of whom are dear friends and also past guests. Adam's goal is to teach his students how that they can love their show like a hobby and build it like a business. Adam helps podcasters launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts so they can have a lucrative side hustle, connect with ideal customers and clients, get sponsorships, and create an impactful brand via podcasting. And if his warm, buttery voice sounds familiar, it's because I was lucky enough to have him narrate the intro and outros of this very podcast, Octa Nonverba. His areas of expertise include podcasting, badassery, and tomfoolery, Adam Shibley. How the hell are you, my friend?
0: Marcus Aurelius Anderson. There it is. Oh my. Uh, we're gonna have a little podcast time here, Octonon Verba fans. I'm excited to be here because I feel like I bring out the sillier side of Mr. MAA over here, and we have some tomfoolery. Like I know he's usually like, I'm Mr. Stoic, and I smiled once in 1983, but like I get him to laugh all the time. So this is this is gonna be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a verbal representation of a French term called "grabas" or "grab ass," as you Americans would call it. But anyway, having said all that, starting with that, I would like to challenge you to
0: dad jokes contest. Best two out of three wins. Go <laughs> dad jokes. Like dad jokes. Is that like your mom jokes? Like your mom? Your mom listens to my podcast or.
1: Yeah. Whatever you want to do. We can do any of those. I'll start if you'd like. Okay. Go for it. Okay. These are corny. These are horrible. You're going to have to forgive us or love us, whatever it is. So what do you call a person who has no head, no body, and no nose?
0: Nobody knows. (laughs) Horrible. I I thought you wanted to tell jokes about dads. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can do that too.
1: I mean, you can do that as well. Dad jokes are corny and easy to remember.
0: I've just got weird dad stories. Like the other day, I've got a six-year-old daughter and a ten-year-old son, and like I get them after school, and we get to chat a little bit, you know, on the ride home. I get the play-by-play, but they always try to one up each other. They're talking about jokes they want to play on me when I'm asleep, like tricks. And so my ten-year-old son is like, we go through a few rounds. And my ten-year-old son Henry's like, Dad, the next time you fall asleep, I'm gonna put shaving cream in your hand and then tickle your nose. And then you're going to slap your face and you're going to have shaving cream all over your face. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a pretty good one. And then my daughter, Hannah goes, well, the next time you fall asleep, dad, I am going to give you a colonoscopy. Man. <laughs> so I've got lots of stories like that. Like so,
1: <laughs> she always just, have
0: to take it up a notch, right? She won. She we hit the buzzer on that one. That's that's a winner. A family member had recently had a colonoscopy. Described it to her, and it blew her mind. It was definitely the coolest thing she'd ever heard about sticking a microscope up the rear quarters and exploring. So. It was fresh in her mind, but she has not yet pulled that trick off. So I'll, I'll report back later.
1: Well, I hope you don't have to report back in any kind of affirmation with that. sounds like a a rough way to wake up. I'm I'm sure that it would be a rude awakening to say the least for a lot of people involved in the whole thing. We've talked a lot about philosophy. We talked a lot about the way that you live your life. And even though we talk about humor, the Stoics had a lot of humor in their philosophy, Why do you think people see Stoics as like this just automaton that has no emotion, very
0: dry, just like what you were describing about me earlier with the lack of smiling? Well, that's the joke within the people know, like if you get me and Marcus and Danny Vega and Robert Sykes in a room, we're going to be crying from laughing so hard all the time. And we all practice Stoicism, like pretty hardcore. Like we subscribe to the daily Stoic and the the daily Marcus Anderson and the whole thing. Like we do all those things. But like a great example is when I told my mom that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm practicing stoicism. She like started to cry because she thought I was in like a cult or something. She's like, Oh, she's not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. Did <laughs> you really thought like I'd signed up for something? Like I'd explained to her, no, it's just, it's just philosophy. It's like a disciplined way of living life. It's about educating ourselves and taking control over things that we can control. It's like, Oh, I thought it was something else. I thought it was a cult. So that's the perception out there. That's a bunch of boring people. And even When you read some of the Stoic books, I love all Ryan Holiday stuff. And he talks about like, everybody assumes that we're these people that just try to avoid fun and avoid smiling and avoid money and laughter and joyful things. But to me, it's about not letting all those things take control over our life. Like using them, not letting them use us. And if you can do that, then you can have as much fun as you want. You absolutely can. I had a Jay Frugi on recently and he was
1: saying how that, Yes. and he's a, he's so hilarious, right? Another great bald man. Exactly. And at his live events, the very first thing they do is when they're up there, they get everybody to laugh because he says, it makes you feel very safe It breeds this camaraderie. And now we're all on the same page. And now this perspective is just, it's a level playing field. Everybody's happy. You're already elevated in emotion. Now, whatever you do thereafter is bonus, frankly. And if you read the Stoics up, like just even says, is like, if somebody says something disparaging about you, if it's true, then correct yourself. And if it's not, then laugh. So if you have this resilience, you can laugh a lot of stuff off. And frankly, a lot of the stuff that's not important, you can just laugh it off because in the end, it's not going to hit you. It's just going to bounce off of you. And if you have that sort of sense of humor with resilience, it gives you the capacity to adapt to any kind of chaos. So whether it be in business, whether it be personal development, you can find the opportunities there while other people are taking the stuff way too seriously. And because they take it too seriously, they overreact. That makes them not able to see what they can truly control and what they can't. How many people do we know that get it backwards? They want to control your opinion and they want to control what you think and what you say and what you're doing when in actuality, there's nothing that they can do about that. They can actually control how they perceive you. They can control again, Marcus Aurelius. Everything that we hear is an opinion. That's not truth. And that's based upon the lens through which we see our lives, our actions, and our
0: words. Yeah. And the whole comedy thing or the whole just laughter as, as a weapon, as a tool. Jay Frugia is a, a great example of this. I, you know, Tom Singer. And so Tom talked me into doing stand-up comedy. He's like, you've got to do it because it's going to make you a better speaker, a better communicator. It's going to make you a better podcaster, a better interviewer, better writer, better everything. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing. And so I'm I'm like, all right, I'm down. And this is 2019. I'm down in Austin, Texas at KetoCon. And he's like, all right, I'm going to hold you accountable to this. Let's go. So he takes me to a dive bar called the Love Goat, which as you enter, There's a giant picture of two goats making love to each other, like that's that's at the over the door, and then you know it's probably 600 square feet, maybe 800 square feet, and there's like 40 comedians in there, packed in. And I come in with a crew because I had people from KetoCon coming. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go do standup comedy for the first time ever. Come and watch me. So I brought like 12 people with me, and they're like, who's the guy that brought people? Whoa, this guy must be a big deal. And Tom was like, you'll get five minutes. And then I, when I get up a stage, the guy shines his little cell phone light. In my face he goes, You got three minutes. And I've been practicing for five minutes. So I was like, oh man, this already. This isn't this is not a, <laughs> a good start. But it's so interesting when you're up there, the whole purpose is to elicit a specific humor response from the audience. So when we're doing interviewing, it's just like communication back and forth, but to take communication to the next level. It's like, can I spark a specific emotion in that? Person I'm talking to, that audience, that audience member. That's why I love it. I've been I've been doing it ever since. And it's it has helped me quite a bit with my speaking and and everything across the board. But I just got up there because I know people were like, well, how'd it go? I wasn't the worst one out of like the 40 guys that were in there. So that was a great start. I just told stories. I told a story about my first 30 seconds as a personal trainer, where a true story, that's all I got is true, weird stories first 30 seconds, I'm a personal trainer, Marcus Aurelius Anderson, my client pooped her pants and I had to deal with it. So that was, what do you do? So do you charge extra for that? What was that in the diet regime? What, what was, <laughs> there's a lot going on. So many questions. So I mean, the premise of my stand-up routine was, do you acknowledge or do you ignore? And I chose to ignore. So for the next hour, I had a lady with poopy pants that I, just chose to if you don't acknowledge it right away, you gotta roll with it. And every squat was a little squishy and it was it was awesome. <laughs> Great stand-up routine. I was gonna say that's what humor is made out of. It's made out of the true events.
1: There's so many other things about humor that they don't understand that it's a force multiplier. So we were talking about people, Tony Blauer. Tony Blauer is an amazing, like he has studied fear for 40-some odd years. He's worked with like top tier people at Delta, Delta Force, not like the airlines, but like the top military people throughout all law enforcement, but he has this beautiful sense of humor. And when I went and spoke at his event, like I use humor in my speaking events, just enough to keep those people off guard because it allows me, when I bring the gravity, it has so much power and that's what he was doing. So he was talking about how, what he's talking about is life and death. So if he talked about it all the time and there was no humor in it, it would just be soul crushing. But he was talking about situational awareness and he says, listen, everybody has a fear dump. Everybody's afraid. He's like, if we both walked out of the airport right now and there was a saber-toothed tiger, we would both go, oh shit. He's like, but I would push you in front of it and then I would run because I had better situational awareness. And again, the whole group is just laughing, but it's hilarious because it is true because he's been exposed to it longer and he can react faster as opposed to a person who is just standing there still in this spider flight mode, not even sure what to do. And they would probably have poopy pants by the time they were done with all of it. Wouldn't have the luxury of doing squats because they probably wouldn't survive. But that's neither here nor there. But it shows how, if you have the ability to fire on these other cylinders, it gets that message in a place that people wouldn't see it. And again, for me, if I'm very straight, very stoic the whole time, it catches them sideways. They don't even see it coming. It's just like a sucker punch. And I love that. And then when you have them there laughing, you can laugh with them, bring them back to the point. And now you've gone beyond the cerebral. You've kind of gone around that. You've hit them in the funny bone. And now maybe you can reach those people with something important that you wouldn't have normally been able to do. So, cause they're like, Oh, this guy's a stoic. What's this guy's name? What's going on? What's with the haircut? Why are you so upset? What's some, Oh, adversity is a gift. I get it. Right. It's like, yeah, it's true. But
0: yeah, you mentioned, I recorded the intro audio for your show. This is something I love to do for my friends. They asked me to do stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll knock this out and I'll send four or five variations. But the last one is always a complete made up joke. <laughs> and so I remember I wrote it out and it was something along the lines of in a world full of thinkers, thought leaders and thinkers who thought they were leaders comes octa non verba. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius Anderson teaches Latin to all those who are in, in the dark or you know, something like that. But I remember I just put it in there. I don't warn you at all. I'm like, I just hope you listen to all of them. <laughs> so When
1: I sent them to the team, I was just like, okay, take this
0: part of this and this part of
1: this. And whatever you do, <laughs> you can enjoy the last one. Please don't mistakenly put that at the front of my <laughs> show because it might send the wrong message. But I may do it once in a while here. Maybe we should do it for this one just for fun to uh, catch people off
0: guard. That would be fun. I loved it. And with that buttery voice, it was perfect. This is the thing of beauty. It was one of my best jokes that I've played.
1: Now, <laughs> we talked about stoicism. We've known each other for some time. We we see each other at conferences all the time and stuff like that. But there was a story that you talked about before we hit record that I didn't know about. And it's a 200-mile walk. What? Why Why would somebody do that? Did you lose a bed? Did your car break down? What's going on?
0: So I try to do one really tough thing per year. One thing that's like way outside of my comfort zone.
1: So you're Misogi.
0: It would be... <laughs> It would be your mis- your Japanese once a year. Push yes. your body. I got you. I wasn't sure what a masoki was, but uh, you know, sometimes I masoki my feet. You know, in, my, in the bathtub. It's a tub. cracker. You put it in your okay. tea. You masoki the cracker, and then it, you eat it. <laughs> so I'm from Indiana, y'all. I don't know any of these fancy terms that Marcus is talking about. Um, so one thing that gets me way outside my comfort zone. So I've done almost 10 years ago now. One of the another memorable one. I signed up for. There's like a local dancing with the stars thing where you got to go and do three dances in front of 600 people at this theater and you'd raise money for charity and all this stuff. So things along those, those lines, I just like, I got to go and do this. It, I've never done this before. So uh, this is back when I owned my gym and one of my clients is named uh, Kunga Norbu and Kunga is the nephew of the Dalai Lama. All right. So his family is very important in the Tibetan culture. So his dad, if you've ever seen Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt, or all of the movies about sneaking the Dalai Lama out of Tibet, his dad is the brother that helps facilitate the whole thing. Like He's he's the Dalai Lama's brother. So their family is very important in the whole Tibetan. The Dalai Lama basically tasked Kunga's family with American awareness for the Tibetan cause. Like they created the Tibetan freedom concert with the beastie boys back in the day. And they used to do like these giant concerts with Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine, all this stuff. But they always go on these giant walks where they'll walk from Florida to New York or Philadelphia to, you know, up and down the coast. And they just walk and they're all these uh, Tibetans, Tibetan monks, and they have the flags and do all this stuff. So, Kunga's father started, he passed away a few years back. Then Kunga's brother, Jigme took over the mantle for all the walks. He was killed on one of the walks, he got run over by a car. They were walking in the dark along a highway in Florida, got hit. It was a big deal. I mean, there was a big deal for the Tibetan community, very sad. So then Kunga had to take over, but Kunga had recently had a stroke. All right. He, his speech had not come back very effectively. And this is when I met him where we're like, we're getting him rehabbed and healthy and making sure. So we're, we're kind of in the post stroke situation. And I go, Hey man, I think it's time for you to do one of these walks. And he's like, can't talk, can't, can't speak. And he's just, he's very, just his words don't compute with what he's trying to say, but I understood what he meant. I go, Hey man, good news is. I'm a big old noisy white guy, man. (laughs) I said, I said, I know there's never been a non-Tibetan that's been involved in this. I would be honored to be the first one, but I can take this to a new level because we'll live stream the whole time. We'll be blasting out all over social media. They had never leveraged tech on any of this for anything. They would just walk to a town, city hall, give a speech, walk to the next city hall, give a speech. It's all just word of mouth and newspapers. So Kunga tags me in. We have all these meetings and we're going to walk from our hometown, Bloomington, Indiana, to Columbus, Ohio, to Lewis Howe's Summit of Greatness event. So we plug that in and I'm on their chat board going, hey, this is what we're doing. If anybody wants to come and walk with us. So we had people that were attending Summit of Greatness flying into like Indiana and Ohio and in Northern Kentucky to meet us at certain checkpoints and walk and, and do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But for eight days, I'm walking a marathon a day with Kunga and all these Tibetan monks basically. And so many stories, man, it was, it was epic. Like at one point, in, we were in Northern Kentucky because we swooped down through like Louisville and shot back up to, to Columbus, Ohio. We're somewhere in Kentucky and it's just me and Kunga that day. And we are, it's hot. And we were out of water. And I forget which one of us had to use the bathroom. I think it was Kunga. And I we had just checked past like a restroom and a place where we could go get water. I'm like, hey, I want to go back. I want to go back and, and get. And he's like, no, forward, must go forward. There will be water. And I was like, man, it's hot as hell. I really I want to go back. I wanna backtrack. And I'm pretty sure I called the nephew the I'm an asshole that day. <laughs> and we didn't talk for a while, but we went forward. I trusted him and we found, we got to a place where we get some water and, and we moved along. But like, I played basketball with a bunch of monks. I was dominant because I'm six foot four and they're all like under five foot tall and they're in their robes and sandals. And I'm like, I'm from Indiana. I don't play. Like when it comes to basketball, I'm like swatting them into the the stands going, oh, Doyle rules. I found out that these monks, they love vanilla ice cream, not chocolate ice cream. Like there's like certain certain things I help prep food. But it was crazy, man, because people- like there were Tibetans that heard about this because we were on this Tibetan YouTube channel. They would find us on these random trails in the Midwest and they're carrying crock pots full of food saying, thank you for doing this because they hadn't done a walk in several years. And this is the first one. We ended up having like 6 million people watch our video on this Tibetan YouTube channel and all this, like it was insane. And the Dalai Lama did this blessing on this scarf thing and sent it out for me. You know, he did a blessing for me with on this thing. And it was just like, it was insane, but we ended up doing it and we got to present a, one of the scarves that were blessed to Lewis house at the event. And it was a pretty damn cool experience. One of the hardest things I've ever done. My feet still aren't right. Like it's been three years since I, I did this. And it was just a, it's one of those experiences that was really hard mentally and physically, but just the uniqueness of it. I couldn't pass it up and I'll never forget it, man. That's like a life changing event for you
1: for everybody that you guys were in contact with and i've got two questions because i'm so glad that the dalai lama actually blessed that and gave it to you because if you call his his nephew, an asshole. Your karma is jacked up for what is it? Seven years is like breaking a mirror or something. I, I balance mean, balance it out. Yeah, I mean, and had he not done that, it's like you and I may not even be speaking now.
0: I'm pretty sure I had my scarf wrapped around my head like Rambo when I did when I said it. So yeah, you're like a kamikaze. You have it <laughs> on you. You're like I have to keep moving
1: forward. <laughs> And, and then the second question was, did you have your head shaved at that point yet or not? No, Because I know that at six foot and them being like five, one, they probably got you guys confused with the shaved heads. They were like, yeah, he's obviously Tibetan. You can tell by the,
0: with the. (laughs) They, okay. So I forget what the exact pronunciation was, but they gave me a little Tibetan name and it meant like noisy white man is what it meant. Like that was like the joke Tibetan name for me (laughs) because I'm going live streaming the whole time at that time I had done several podcasts. I was deep in the space. So I had a a mutual connection to Joshua Fields Milburn from the Minimalists, And he went live with me from his minimalist Instagram page. It's like over a million people. And we were going live and I'm like pointing the camera at Kunga and he's kind of stuttering around. You can piece together a little bit about what he's trying to say. Then I'd go and I'd talk a little bit, and that like just like little things like that. We got the word out to so many people, just raising awareness. We had a, a young guy that snuck out of Tibet. It was had been like within a year, and he said that the Chinese military was shooting at him as he's sneaking out. Like he had to like go on the underneath a bunch of stuff inside of a bus to sneak, and then he had these like mountain trails to get to Nepal. Crazy, crazy stuff. So I learned a lot about myself and about everything that's going on over there. So it's pretty darn cool. And so you said that's maybe the hardest thing you've ever done physically, huh? Just the day after day, because I was sore after day one. I'd never ran a marathon before. So it's like walking 25-ish miles a day, no big deal. I work out, I own a gym. And my glutes and my feet and my shins were so sore after day one. We get up for day two And Kunga was like, so sore, bro, so sore. And I was like, we got to just get up and get moving. But then you get moving, you loosen up. But every morning it was terrible. It was so bad. And uh, like I said, there's still like on my left foot, my last two toes on the outside, I can't feel them. Like they're, I have no feeling on the outside of my foot just because I screwed up some, that's some nerve damage or something. Kunga ended up having, uh like micro fractures in his shins when we got to summon a greatness and we had to send him home to recover like he couldn't even stay at the event the whole time because he, he he was in the middle of the street in Columbus, Ohio and he's like, No more walk, no more walk. And I had to pick him up and just like carry him back to the hotel room and get him in his car and, and send him home. But it was it was pretty epic, man.
1: And so what was the biggest lesson you learned from that? What
0: was the gift from this adversity? I think well for me it was the beating that my body took it was still like that why for me was so much bigger every day i learned a little bit more about why we were doing these walks and the awareness that we were and the role that i was playing as the the person that could bring media and extra attention I, so even though the pain got worse every day my why leveled up and meeting these people that were getting shot at and just had been through all these crazy stories with the Chinese government and all this stuff, so every day that momentum just built and built and built, and so I felt stronger so that the pain was actually worth it, and even though my body was hurting more, it didn't bother me as much because I was just like, What's the experience going to be like today? <laughs> it's just a new thing every single day for eight days in a different county or state. So I think that was the main benefit that I got out of, I saw that I, I was capable of more than I thought, but also it's just taught me that you can do anything if the why is bigger than the combined sum of all the why nots. That's the big thing for me. That's exactly it. And like you said, you still have that incredible memory and that impact and that
1: experience, but you do have a little bit of residual neuropathy in your foot, but in the grand scheme of things, you still got a, a huge positive on that. And I, I love that you talk about the accountability from social media, because when I did the David Goggins 4x4x48 earlier this year in March, it was the same thing. Like If it's just me doing it, I feel like it's for the wrong reasons, but I was doing it to raise money to stop human trafficking. And I had this goal and I only got to 5000 instead of 10000 but It was the same thing where I know, listen, I have to run every four hours. So running at 10 p.m., 2 a.m., 6 a.m., 10 a.m., and then by that second day, like that first 28 miles... And then it's two o'clock in the morning and it's March and it's cold and it's wet and your body's sore. And it's like, Oh my God, I don't want to get up again. Knowing why you're doing it. Also knowing that social media is going to keep you accountable. So every time I would go live to post, like we know Instagram has that, they had the timestamp on it. So if I was lying or if I slept in and you said, Oh yeah, I forgot to post on this thing. It's like, it's going to say, Hey, listen, you said you were supposed to do this every four hours. This is based on the honor system. And then the impact that that had forward moving with that, because I wanted to get to $10,000 for the, in central Missouri, it's called the Stop Human Trafficking Coalition in central Missouri. And the goal was to get to 10,000 for them. And I didn't hit that and I felt bad about it. But then I found out from all the awareness that we had created from social media, their senators found out about it. They were able to secure even more funding from them from a state level. And now they're even being allowed to have national level funding based on that. So that $5,000 turned into much more than I would have raised, even if I'd hit my $10,000 goal, so to speak. So, and then Robert Sykes is saying that he wants to do it with me next year. And I have all these other people in the veteran community that want to do the same thing where, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, our charity, it can be whatever charity that you love, but it creates awareness and for better, for worse, adversity binds us. So why not do something that makes you better? not just something that makes the world better and it forces you to level up and then just like you said you level up like that it makes you look down on where you were as a person and it just seems sort of antiquated and it's like wow there was so much more i was capable of and that's how we get there i love that
0: story man like robert and danny and you are all doing these long walking things now and i know that you're gonna hit me up at some point and i'm gonna be like hard pass still can't feel my feet
1: <laughs> Where's the link? I'll give you some money, but shut up. Let's do a alone. donating contest
0: or like something like that. I'll, I'll dominate.
1: That was part one of my interview with Adam shibley creator of the Podcasting Business School and Podcasting Business Coach. You can hear part two of our interview on the next episode of Octodon Verba, where Adam returns to discuss the advantages of a minimalistic lifestyle, creating financial independence and how to transition from focusing on financial compensation to finding value in experiences and relationships. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words.
0: Live a life of Octa Nonverba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Octa Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to marcusareliusanderson.com and join his Okta non-verba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.